Well, good morning, aloha. So great to have you here today. My name is Pastor Stefan, so great to have you here. I figured as a kid, hey, if I go to church and I believe that Jesus exists, I'm good because, right, nobody's perfect and that's it. And so I'm a Christian. My parents are Christians. I'm a Christian. And I really just thought, hey, that's all there is to it. But later on in life, I learned that there was more. There was more to life than that. And it so happened that I was so deceived that I was a Christian, that I had a relationship with Christ, that people who saw me live, they saw two different lives. They saw this person who would go into the YWAM base over here at the Youth of the Mission and, you know, there'd be worship music and I would be kind of playing along. And then the other life I had outside where I was getting high or I was sleeping around or I was nearly getting killed in surf that could drown a man. And those two lives didn't line up. They didn't match because I really was deceived that hey, I got this spiritual thing under control. And it wasn't, it's a long story, but it wasn't until God tackled me. And some people who are very godly and very loving said to me, Stephen, we don't believe you're a Christian, and here's why. We see you full of hate. We see the way you live, and it doesn't line up. And so I'm gonna talk about this morning what does it mean? What does it mean to be a Christ follower? What does it mean to be a Christian, a true Christian? We're going to talk about that. So in order to do that, we need to go to God's Word. Now, uh, if we could have one of my volunteers grab me a Bible from the back, um, bring it up here up front. We have custom awakening Bibles that we'd like to give to you as a gift just to say, hey, we love you. This is a way for you to get in God's Word. Also, there's a free custom awakening app you can download and you also can have it read the word to you. You can listen to these amazing messages online. You can give. There's all kinds of cool things you can do. But this is a Bible. Believe it or not, there are many people, 35 and unders, who really don't know what this is and what it's really about. The Bible, oh, isn't it just a bunch of people killing each other and hate and reason for all the problems we have today is this religious book. There's more to this than the eye can see. And if the 35 and unders would ever open one and read it, they would discover there's so much more. But here's the thing, 35 and unders, they're not religious, they may be spiritual, meaning, hey, I'm open to that. There may be a God or whatever, but they're not religious. Now, religious, that can be a loaded term, all right? For, for the sake of uh, argument, if you are a Christ follower, some people might consider you religious, but it's really not a religion. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. And 35 and unders, they're not religious, but they're spiritual. And here's the thing. They may be open to God, but they're not seeking him. They're not seeking him. So what I would like to do is I'd like to outline what this is about. Why do I believe what I believe as a Christ follower? 
And it's real simple. It starts in the beginning. In Genesis, story of Genesis, with Adam and Eve in the garden, God created man and a woman because it was joy to him, because he wanted somebody to love, and he loves making beautiful things. And the human beings are a masterpiece that God created. He created a beautiful garden where they could, like, kind of like Maui, only better, because you didn't have to work. All you had to do is collect the nice guavas and papayas and hang out with animals, and there was no sickness, there's no death. You ran around naked, and Adam had a beautiful wife, and, and Eve had a beautiful husband, and everything was great. It was good. And God said it was good. And here's the thing. It wasn't complicated, right? We like to complicate our faith. We like to complicate Christianity. But it wasn't complicated in the garden because there was only one rule. How many of you guys wish that you only had one rule in your life? Just one rule. I mean, dude, you go to your workplace, you have rules. You go to your school, you have rules. You go to your house, there's rules. You, you have rules with your spouse. You have rules with your buddies. There's all kinds of rules. You get pulled over by the, the cop and get a ticket. There's rules everywhere you look. One rule. God created this tree in the middle of the garden. It was a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he said, Adam and Eve, you can eat from any tree you'd like, but not this tree. It's kind of like if you're in a, in a room and there's a shiny red button and you just want to press it. Adam and Eve, they couldn't resist, but they only had one rule. It was simple. But they were deceived by Satan, and he does this a lot. He, he lies to people and manipulates the mind and tricks people into believing lies. And so Satan says to Adam and Eve, he says, Adam and Eve, check this out. God doesn't want you to eat this because you'll have knowledge of both good and evil. You will be literally like God. But here's the funny part of it. They already had the knowledge of all the good but no knowledge of the bad, of evil. And by taking this fruit and eating it, now their eyes were open to the darkness, to death, to suffering, to hate, to everything that was bad and evil. And they understood. And they saw they were naked and they went and hid. You see, the thing is, the knowledge of the evil brought in death that's where we pick up in Genesis, chapter 2, verse 16, uh, 16 through 17, God says this, but the Lord warned him, you may freely eat from the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat this fruit, you are sure to die. Sure to die. That knowledge of evil brought in sin, sin brought in death. And now what was once beautiful and perfect and good was diminished. Complicated. That knowledge of evil brought rules of just one rule to a whole 10. The rules were amplified tenfold now because God had to show man what is right from wrong. And so he gave them 10. You're like, gosh, dang it, from one to 10, dang. But it gets more complicated because as time went on, 
people started adding rules to those 10 rules. And before you know it, you have hundreds of rules. And if you don't follow these, you're not religious. You're not a follower of Jesus. And it gets complicated, but I'm here to tell you this morning that the law, what God gave us, his law, is not that complicated. It's not that complicated because God, like when I was younger, God, I thought God was up there with like, like Zeus again, like I, I was t- telling you last week, like Zeus with a pitchfork and, and every time I messed up, he would throw down lightning bolts and oh, ha, ha, you messed up, I got gotcha. you. Re- but the reality is, is that God is not up there throwing down lightning bolts every time you mess up. That's not the truth. You see, God gave us these 10 commandments, not so he could keep a running list of the things you've done wrong but to show you your need for his grace, to show you that he's perfect and that we're sinful. Uh, Romans chapter three, verse 19 through 20, Paul says it really simply like this. He said, obviously the law applies to those whom it was given for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses. And what? And what? And to show the entire world it is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us what? How simple we are. God's saying, hey, I give you 10 commandments, but you'll never be able to keep them. How's that? Thanks, God. Appreciate it. Don't walk around life feeling like a jerk all the time. Because, yeah, I didn't murder anybody, but I've hated. And Jesus said, hey, if you have hate in your heart, you're guilty of murder. Right? Oh, I'm not go cheating on my wife. But Jesus said, hey, if you even look upon a woman or a man lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. You know, so the reality is that this church, and, and you're the same way, if you're the same way I am, which I, I believe you are, and you have the same temptations I do, and you mess up every once in a while like I do, then this is a church full of lying, thieving, murderous adulterers. Welcome to the Awakening Church. <laughs> and so, but he's saying, here's these rules. You're never going to be able to fu- keep them all. But here's the thing. I'm giving you these to show you your need for my grace, to show you my, your need for me. And so the law is not that complicated. It really isn't. God said, hey, the whole Bible can be wrapped up into a couple rules. What? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? It's love. That's the one rule. How many of you guys like one rule? You got one rule. Love God. But here, you know what? So we complicate it. We complicate it. And then we just we say, ah, it's no big deal if I'm not loving God, if I'm not right with God, and it'll be all good. But here's the, the reality is the penalty for sin is death. The penalty for sin is death. There must be a price paid for your sin. Paul, again, in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, he says, in fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is what? No forgiveness. So God says when there is sin, there is death. And where there is sin and death, blood must be shed to pay for sin. That's why the law of Moses, they set up sacrificial systems 
to sacrifice lambs, little innocent lambs they'd bring up in their homes, and they would go and sacrifice them as a symbol of taking away their sins. An innocent lamb shed its blood, and they would sprinkle the, the blood on the altar. And that is the way the system that God has set up. There is a price to be paid for sin. You don't like it? It's the reality. Romans chapter 6 verse, uh, Romans again, it continues to say, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So yeah, when we mess up, the law requires that we pay. There's no way around it. But the reality is, is that Satan wants you to think you don't need God's forgiveness, you don't need God's grace, and there's so many people walking around today who will say to me, when I talk to them about Jesus, they will say to me, you know, I really don't, you know, I'm not really into this whole Jesus thing or organized religion or the church for that matter, you know, so what, it's not a big deal. I mean, I'm a decent person. If, if I'm wrong about this whole Jesus thing and I get to heaven, he's going to be cool with me because I'm not Adolf Hitler. I'm not Marilyn Manson. I'm not a serial murderer. I'm not, I'm not a rapist. So, I mean, if you compare me to most people, I mean, I'm a pretty decent person. So God's going to be cool with me. You know, I was, saying, I was thinking that same thing. I remember people talking to me about Jesus. I'm sitting on, on the beach, and I'm watching as these, why we call them YWAMers, but Youth of the Mission, YWAM. Um, they were, they were get, they're being all emotional and going and getting baptized in the water, and they were doing, like, uh, this forgiveness of sin thing, and I was just like, <laughs> sitting on the beach watching them do it. Just like, eh, one of those guys. I had bought into the lie that me and God were good, whoever he was. And so I was comfortable just sitting in, in unrepentance. Now, if I had been taken at that moment and was brought before God, there would be a penalty for my sin, and that would require death, a physical death, a spiritual death. But I was thinking to myself, I'm a pretty decent person. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Paul clears this right up. He says, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Nobody's righteous. And if you're thinking that, hey, me and God, we're good. But I haven't, I don't have a relationship with God. I haven't asked for forgiveness. There's really been no deal between me and God to figure out this debt I owe. 
but I'm going to continue risking every day because we're not promised tomorrow. That's the reality. In fact, the only thing we are promised is death and taxes at one point or another, right? We're not promised anything. And so there's going to be a count made of our life. Now, this is maybe all dreary. Some of you are like, whoa, okay. This is pretty uh, discouraging, depressing even. Like, maybe I have not figured out if my balance is paid. Have I really got what this relationship thing means down? I want to give you an answer. I want to end with encouragement and an answer for you. But before we do that, I'd like to take a look at this video. This is an NFL player. Uh, he at one point played for the Panthers. Um, we're going to take a look at this. We're going to hear a little bit of his story, and then we'll come back, and I'm going to tell you the good news. Check it out. In 2003, my son Trevin was five and a half at the time. We were at Disneyland for a family vacation. And uh, we went down to Disneyland doing the Disneyland thing and he gets a cold. You have four kids, your kids get sick. It's never fun, but you kind of develop a rhythm for when they're gonna bounce back. And uh, he wasn't bouncing back. Uh, even on the ride home, you know, we couldn't cheer him up. He got real listless, real, like had no energy and his skin color was different. So we take him to the emergency room and they weren't real worried. They did some blood work and they, they gave him a bunch of fluids and you know, they said he was dehydrated and, and maybe they were gonna look at him overnight because there were some possible signs in the blood work of some hepatitis possibilities. And, but it was like one of those, okay, everything's fine. I mean, nobody was panicked. So I was to go home and, uh, and be with the other three girls. It's not, I mean, I'm not home for five minutes. I get this call that, hey, uh, on the way to the hospital, your son's heart stopped. I run in and, and the, the first thing I remember seeing is a team of doctors um, all hovering over my son and, you know, trying to resuscitate him. Shortly thereafter, Dr. Rush Sell said, oh, great news, we had one nurse that was able to keep his heart pumping enough for us to put this ECMO unit on him which is a heart-lung bypass machine. Over the next, I want to say, six to eight hours, it became, but he can't stay on this unit here. He has to be transported. All the medical transport units for this machine are in Iraq because we just started the war. He can go to Stanford, he can go to the University of Michigan, but we can't get him to either. great friend drove us in the Suburban behind the ambulance and it was the worst two and a half hour drive in the history of the world because every bump he went over, we weren't sure if he made it. And now he's in ICU, he's on this heart-lung bypass machine. Uh, we set up what they called Camp Trevin. 
uh, at Lucille Packard, and with so many people that just loved us, they basically just stopped their lives. I mean, that's where I... So many people laid down their lives, um, in a sense, to love on us and to care for us in this time. And, and uh, he was on this machine for 40 days at Stanford. little back room, these cots at Lucille Packard. We went back there, we prayed together, and she goes, can you leave me alone for a little bit? And I said, sure, and I walked out. I've never heard a, a, a scream of more pain than I heard from her. It was like through two walls into another room, and she was crying out to God. I was so amazed that she had the maturity to be willing to scream out to God. here to say it's not, but what's equally awesome is that we have a God that um, volunteered that for his son on our behalf. Jesus, like, come on, and, and I, the cynics, and I, I get it, and I simply say, you have no idea. I've experienced a peace during the greatest time of loss any parent could ever have that is so real. I mean, truly, I feel like it washes over me at times. Trent, uh, and what a powerful story he has. Uh, it could be discouraging even, but I, I, I think the point of this, the message that he shared was that he had a son, and he had lost his son. And there was a moment in his mind where he realized that God loved us so much that he gave. He gave his son who allowed himself to be put on a cross, nailed there, was tortured to his death, and shed his blood so that you could be free, so that you could have life, so that your account with God could be settled once and for all. There was a man, he was a prophet, his name was John, John the Baptist. And this is what he said of Jesus when he saw him in Romans chapter 
12, verses 4 through 5. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's what Jesus is. He is that sacrificial lamb that paid the penalty for our sin. And here's how it works. If you read on, it said, yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Now, I'll tell you how to settle that account. The Bible says a couple things about this account being settled. He says that you must believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he is. Jesus is a human being who claimed to be God. But there are a lot of people in this world who have messianic complexes who claim to be God. But guess what? They're still in the grave. There was over 500 witnesses well over that, who saw Jesus alive again. Jesus claimed to be God, and either he's crazy or he's telling the truth. But he had the evidence to back it up. He rose from the dead. He did miracles. He conquered death. But you have to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's God, that he's Lord. Right? You have to believe it in your heart. You have to confess it with your mouth, with words. And there needs to be a symbolic surrender in your heart, saying, I'm going to surrender my life to him. Because you can believe that God exists. The demons do that. When they see God, they shriek and, sh- uh, and say, oh, that's that Jesus guy. So they know he exists, but they're not surrendered to him. That's what meaning, saying Jesus is Lord means. It means he's, he is in charge of you. You are surrendered. You, the old self of you has died, and now there's a new person. That's what baptism is. When you go underneath that water, it's a symbolic death. Going underneath that water, dying, and coming up a new person, holy, belonging to God, God's property, and you're being obedient to what he asks of you to do. That one rule, love him. That's what he asks you to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. But there needs to be a belief in your heart. There needs to be confession with your mouth, and there needs to be a surrender under his authority, saying, hey, I belong to you, God, now, whatever you want. I'm in. I'm going to show you how to do that. It's a simple prayer where you do all those three things. You're talking to God. You're confessing his lordship, and you're surrendering to him. What would I like to do, I'm going to invite the band up right now, but I'm going to show you how to say that prayer. It's real simple. It's like I'm talking to you right now. You do that with God. And here's the thing. He'll hear you. He'll hear every word. And all you have to do is be authentic there. Maybe you're thinking in your mind, I'm not ready yet. I don't want to let go of this and that and that. I can't live perfect. Well, let me let you off the hook. You don't need to be perfect and get certain things in order in your life to make things right with God. Because you got to get him within you first before you're capable of anything good. 
I've had people come up to me, oh, Pastor Stephen, I, 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 there was a local guy. I don't like, sm- sm- stop smoking weed. I'm like, dude, give your heart to Jesus. Don't worry about that later. And so we did. We prayed. There's something usually that Satan does that he puts in the hearts of minds of people who are needing to surrender. And it's usually like, hey, if you surrender, God's going to, He's going to abandon you. He's going to let you down again. He's going to not be there, not answer your prayer. God's not going to honor what he says. Or you're going to have to give this up or get out. And he sit there and lie. And literally there's, for some, in here there's a battle, a spiritual war going on for your soul. What needs to happen is you need to just, you know, that, that, that temptation of that voice from Satan, you just need it. Push it away. And you need to listen to the voice of God, of his spirit. And if you're ready to, if you're ready to surrender, here's how, here's how it goes. For the, it was such, by the way, when I gave my heart to Jesus, it was such a spiritual battle. The Satan was constantly lying to me, telling me lies and distracting me. People were like, you want to surrender? And I'm like, sitting there believing these lies and they're like I can tell Satan's messing with you right now and so like you know what I did you know my sinning my sinner way I, I cursed out Satan I was like get out of here <laughs> and, and then there was that surrender but there's a spiritual war and anyway here's how you overcome this battle we're all going to say this prayer together and we're going to say it loud so nobody feels awkward so you could be saying it authentically in your heart, but everybody else is saying it with, with us. So nobody feels left out or isolated. We're not gonna call you out here. This is business between you and God. You bow your heads, close your eyes, and this is the word you say. You say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. But you rose from the dead. You conquered death so that I could be free. Jesus, I believe you're Lord, and I want you to be the Lord of my life. Come into my heart. Wash me clean. Make me a new person. In Jesus' name. Continue on with your eyes closed, heads bowed. If you said that prayer for real in your heart, and you did that to rededicate your life to God, because maybe a long time ago you said that prayer and you got off track, or if you said that prayer for the first time and you really meant it, without anybody looking around, heads bowed, eyes closed, would you be courageous with me? Would you raise your hand so I could pray for you? Anybody in here? else. God bless you. I see your hand. God bless you. Good. Anybody else? If you're hearing those lies, tell Satan where to go. God wants a relationship with you. Anybody else? All right. Lord, we just thank you so much for this morning. We thank you that how good you are to us. We thank you for um, Lord, how you have 
taken care of this, this issue and you've simplified it, you've made it easy. And Lord, sometimes life isn't easy, but the answer is simple. And we thank you that one day that we get to be in heaven in paradise with you and that maybe even if we experience a physical death one day, that we will not spiritually die, that we will be alive with you for eternity.
Love. <laughs>